Macro Podcast number 408 for May 21st, 2014. Brought to you by two Citrix products, ShareFile, the professional way to share files, and go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hey, Ren. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And you? Pretty good. Recovering from a crazy weekend. Uh, I was out in Fort Wayne watching lots of men's roller derby and helping out the uh, the Massachusetts men's team, Mass Maelstrom, win two out of our three games, which was pretty cool. Nice. And what kind of help do you lend? Coaching? I, yeah, I am a bench coach, which basically means that I'm uh, putting together lines uh Roller derby is played in multiple lines, kind of like hockey. You're swapping Mm -hmm. in and out. So I'm making sure that the right people are going out at the right time and all of that fun stuff. Well, good. Yeah. It's really easy. Did you have a fun weekend? Um... I'm trying to think what I did. I have no idea if I did. No, I didn't. I, actually, I went for a long hike on the beach, as I try to do as often as possible, as people on Twitter know. So, uh, no, it was good. It was good. Um, but other things happened than roller derby and walking on the beach. Many other things happened. Well, Min- not that many. Yeah, <laughs> some things some happened. Thing, yeah, right. Some things happened. Um, and we're going to try and cover them. Yeah. One of the things that happened late last week, and it was kind of greeted with this big fanfare, it was like this was a big deal, is that Google and Apple have sat down, at least their attorneys have sat down across from each other, and they said, you know, suing each other over everything seems to be a waste of our time. Plus, we're not getting those big cash rewards that we thought we might get out of it. So at least in terms of the Motorola dealings that Google acquired Motorola a while ago, how about if we just lay off? And instead, (laughs) let's look at patent resolution so that we're not spending all our time in court, but instead maybe helping out our customers, maybe uh, innovating a little bit more. Yeah, so one, I think this is a good idea, but two, how sincere is this and how far-reaching do you think it is? Um, I think it's good that they're at least sitting down and talking, especially considering, you know, four years ago we were talking about thermonuclear war. Yeah. Um, but I I mean there's a long way to go. The Apple and Google relations have been testy since two thousand seven, um, and there are quite a lot of problems here and the Samsung Apple uh court battles are sort of just the just the tip, uh, so to speak, of the iceberg. Uh, and I like I, I really would like them to come to some kind of agreement, even if that agreement is just we're going to be mad at each other privately and not sue each other over yeah. every conceivable notion. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to see the, the two companies skipping hand in hand and being like, JK, <laughs> we're totally buds now. It's, it's, it's going to be a long process. Yeah, I think the courts are getting a little tired of it, too. I think one of the judges in, in a recent case just, you know, kind of rolled her eyes at the companies and said, oh, please, do we really have to fight about every single thing that's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is maybe another hint that this is Tim Cook's Apple and not Steve Jobs' Apple. As you mentioned, Steve famously talked about going through thermonuclear over Google allegedly stealing Apple's uh, proprietary uh, ideas and patents. And Tim Cook doesn't seem to be quite that kind of guy, that um, a more reasonable sort of person, perhaps, who maybe is deeply offended as well, but understands the benefit of actually doing business instead of carrying on this this long campaign and battle against uh, their alleged enemies, but try to get along where they can, 
Obviously, there's still going to be competitors. Like you say, they're not going to skip hand in hand and everything's going to be beautiful. They're going to be fierce competitors, but to the point where nothing can get done because everybody's afraid of suing somebody else or infringing on somebody else's patents. Maybe people can go after real things uh, where clearly Apple has had some complaints about Samsung and I think reasonable ones, and they should pursue these. But where you've purchased a patent from somebody else solely for the purpose of taking somebody to court in the hopes of winning and, and getting big bags of money from them, I hope those days are coming to an end. Yes, me as well. I, I would really prefer not to have Google and Apple at each other's throats because there are many things that they could potentially work together on. And, you know, Google's been so far very good about releasing iOS apps and such like that. But it, but it would be nice to to maybe not have such a frosty relationship. Right. And then as we I heard today... Uh, Apple and Samsung, not quite so much. That Originally, the idea of these Apple-Samsung battles is that it was a proxy war. So it was really Apple against Google. Mm -hmm. uh, and now maybe not so much. That apparently, some Samsung lawyer kind of got spiky about uh, Apple and termed these legal battles a jihad, which is you know <laughs> not the kind of thing you want to say to anybody. No, not quite so much. And so the, now the attorneys on Apple's side are getting spiky. And, and so it's sort of like, well, all right, maybe Apple and Google have, have agreed to maybe tone it down a little bit. But it doesn't seem like that's happening in the case of Samsung. No, I, oh, I think they're still pretty mad at Samsung. And I think Samsung is still pretty frosty against Apple. I don't suspect we'll see any, any listening. Although there, there are rumors of settlement talks, but there are also rumors that those settlement talks are completely wrong. So we'll, we'll see what that actually ends up being. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Samsung's response from the board, you know, the business people versus the lawyers said, no, you know, those lawyers do not in any way express our views in terms of <laughs> calling, you know, terming these things jihads and so forth. So I don't know if, they, if they're now going to call their attorneys in and say, could you tone it down a little bit? Just yeah, a on, little guys. bit. Because <laughs> we want to get along a little bit better than we do because Apple's not ordering their chips from us anymore. They're ordering mm -hmm. from somebody else. And we got to keep that business alive live as well. So we'll see if, if they have that kind of power to, uh, to tone down the attorneys, or maybe that's really what they want. They're, they're attack dogs, and, and therefore that's what they do. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. So um, another couple of big companies in the news, AT&T has made a bid to acquire DirecTV. Now, of course, it's going to have to go through FCC approval, of much course. like the Comcast Time Warner deal. So we're seeing kind of this trend of these large media conglomerates joining together for the benefit of the media conglomerates. But is there any benefit to us in I don't all know. this? I don't know. DirecTV is in, has been in a unique circumstance in that, you know, the sat satellite television does have uh, some advantages over your traditional cable television in terms of uh, direct delivery. And I actually have to wonder if... Um, if it's the satellite business that AT&T is interested in, like getting more, getting more satellite hookups and um, the TV, you know, the TV side is well and good, but um, having a larger content business, whereas, you know, Comcast has a lot of deals with content partners mm -hmm. um, and AT&T has been more of a phone and, and, and mobile service and not so much a, a TV service. So it, it, it seems you know, rather likely that, uh, that they're doing this kind of just shore up and be like, well, 
You know, Comcast and Charter shouldn't be the only people with uh, with TV, especially because TV is becoming such an important thing on mobile too. You know, Comcast has mm-hmm. its Comcast Anywhere plans, um, and AT and T has you know a, a, a variation on that, but there's not really a they don't they don't have the same kind of power. You know. Yeah, it seems like that in these conglomerates now you have to have three uh, three main thrusts, which is TV, phone. And um, and then broadband. Mm-hmm. Well, DirecTV only has TV. It can only do satellite. You don't want to do broadband through satellite. I've, I've tried it. I've been there. <laughs> it's awful. Nobody ever wants to do that if they no. can help it. AT&T does have its television service through Uverse, but apparently it's not doing all that well. They don't have a lot of subscribers. People instead are going with Comcast. So they were hoping to acquire a stronger television arm. I think it's interesting that it's not hooked up except you know i mean it's still going to be a standalone business rather than um you know part of sort of a one box it's going to it's still going to be a couple of boxes to do broadband as well as to do tv but direct tv has far more subscribers and i think far mm-hmm. more happy subscribers unlike at&t um and so once they do bring this together i think what the benefit for consumers is they will have better bargaining power perhaps with getting better content and so it will be content not only through direct tv but then be able to take some of that direct tv content and then stream it over the internet which is something that at&t would certainly like there's others that have suggested that with this kind of deal they have more money and therefore they can drop the prices on consumers uh Yeah, that yeah. would be a lovely idea, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, I think that has to be some lobbyist talking point. Um, you know, we've seen these kind of things happen in the Bells back in the day. Airlines. Um, I don't know anybody who's having a better experience now flying than they did 20 years ago. So I try not to be too paranoid about this, but when I do see these large companies coming together and even more dominating a market, I... I hardly ever see any upside for the consumer on this one, but rather they say, well, you know, we own the market, so we can pretty much do what we want, particularly when the FCC isn't providing particularly stern oversight. I'll be interested to see how this, uh, how it shakes out and if the FCC will approve it. I do think it probably has a little bit of a better chance than the, um, than the Comcast Time Warner merger because it's a, you know, different services venturing in, you know. Yeah, it's apparently Comcast and Time Warner are going, oh, good. See, so this is going to yeah, help yeah. them in some way because they say, well, look, they're doing it too. So, yeah, but not quite in the in the same way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and it, I mean, we make fun of the FCC. We have, I think, for the past seven weeks um, as if they have no idea what they're doing. And, of course, they do. They're smart people there. And, and I do think that they're going to look at these with uh, – with different glasses on, basically. So understand that the AT&T DirecTV deal is a different kind of thing than Comcast Time Warner, which is basically two of the same kind of companies just becoming an even bigger company. Um, and I believe, I think I saw a survey today say that, that Comcast and Time Warner are like the most hated companies in the world. <laughs> Together, we will be the most hated of all companies. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they'll be like the supervillains among um <laughs> among media conglomerates. So Yeah, right now they're just two bit hookies. <laughs> Very large two bit hookies. So good on you, Comcast. There's something to strive for. Being the largest, most hated company in the world. Um okay. Ooh. 
Well, let's talk about a company that we like, and that's going to be Citrix and uh, their product, ShareFile, the professional way to share files. It should come as a surprise to just about no one that most of us rely on email to communicate with our clients and our coworkers, and we're frequently exchanging files like contracts and spreadsheets and presentations. But if you're sending these important and sometimes confidential documents as regular email attachments, you need to know about a better way, and that better way is ShareFile by Citrix. Instead of attachments, ShareFile sends your documents as secure links, so you can quickly send files of almost any size, and we're talking about gigabytes of size. You can control who has access to them and for how long, and you can receive email alerts when the files are opened and reviewed. Plus, ShareFile is easy to use and will help you work more efficiently. So keep everyone on the same page with shared folders that sync automatically and access files from anywhere using your computer or your mobile device. Recently, I've reevaluated the way I share files and I'm starting to use ShareFile now and I'm really happy with the results. So here's what to do. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial. There's no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter Macworld. Again, ShareFile.com, Click the microphone icon and type in Macworld. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about what we've been talking about in past weeks, uh, speaking of companies that we like and executives that we like, which is Angela Arendt's, uh continued plans for Apple retail. Uh, Mark Gurman on 9to5 posted a very in-depth piece about, uh, about what, she's, uh, what she's looking to do for Apple, how she's looking to kind of shake up the retail, the retail business. And um, it's I find it interesting because it's a lot of what we were talking about, Chris, um, a lot about uh, her sort of taking inroads into China, working more on the mobile payment spectrum. Um, and uh, I, I'm I'm glad to see that uh, Angela Aarons is listening to our podcast, <laughs> by which I mean she's a very smart woman. And uh, I'm glad that she is sort of looking at a, looking at these solutions in a uh, in a positive light and looking at the the good things that Apple retail has to offer. Um, and also, it seems that uh, she's been making personal visits to Apple stores and talking to managers and really interacting with uh, with the employees, which I think is awesome. Because Ron Johnson used to do that. Um, I don't know how much uh, John Browett used to actually did any, but when I was when I was working for retail, uh, Ron Johnson would you know show up to all of the big store openings and was really good about keeping in contact with managers and would answer employee questions and was pretty pretty rad for somebody who is you know an a high up executive level uh in the company uh so it's 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 good to me that uh to see that she's already kind of making some positive steps and some positive inroads at least according to 9 to 5 mac what what's your thought on it chris well i'm really thrilled to see her there as well um I actually ran into Ron Johnson early on when the San Francisco store opened and he was talking to somebody I knew and I was introduced to him and he said, oh, you know, your book was the first thing we ever sold here, which is a lie. But because Adam Engs told me exactly the same thing, he said, no, he told me my book. Was, yeah, no, neither one of us. But it was very nice. One, they knew who, who I was and, and I'd written yeah. a book that they were selling and it was like, good on you. I like this guy. He's, he's that detail oriented. Um, very approachable. Good guy. Uh, the next guy they had not so much um and i sort of worried about what was going to happen to retail with him because really his job was to lay people off and cut expenses which i just thought oh, okay this is how these things go it's they're not innovating they're not putting effort into them they just want to reduce the bottom line so that they can make more money and to 
instead to get Angela Aaron, I thought was great because you know what she had done already um, in her previous life at Burberry, but um, to have some ideas about this because I thought, well, if I were stepping into this job, what would I do? Well, every time I go into an Apple store, the place is congested and full of people, and um, I thought, well, this seems to be pretty successful. So what kinds of things do you do? Now, obviously, Apple's very interested in the China play everywhere. So, of course, it makes sense that she's going to spend a lot of time there. But I do like the idea that she's visiting stores. She can actually see what's going on there. Maybe she can do something about some of these congestion issues that we've talked about. Doing more sales electronically makes sense. So you're not standing there in the middle of the store kind of holding up something in your arm saying, I want to buy this. Is there anybody here? Mm -hmm. Oh, I could tap on this iPad. I didn't know I could do that. I I went into an Apple store with my mother, and she had no idea how to buy anything. And one of the employees came by and said, oh, you know, you can just do it from this iPad here. Well, she didn't know how to do that. Um, So streamlining the store for kind of regular people I think would be great. I think she has the savvy to do it. Given her past work, I think she understands how that that goes. So good to see that happening. and again, you know, good to have a a woman up up there in the at the top at Apple. I think it's Katie Cotton was was up there, but didn't want to have her picture up there apparently. But um, nice to see at least a woman up there. Maybe some more <laughs> would be a good idea. Let's hope. Let's hope. You know, because there are certainly there are plenty of people. smart women. There are plenty of smart engineers at Apple who are who are women who yep. I who I know. They're you know, uh, there's gonna there's gonna be some changes. I hope. In the in the future, more more women, fewer uh, fewer white men. The world can hope. <laughs> yeah, well, we've certainly seen a lot of changes recently at the top with with Tim Cook coming in. So, um, so more of those is good. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing exactly how the stores change over time because I think they're doing fine. But yes. um, you know, make efforts to make them even better than fine, and and uh, I think everybody will be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, fine and maybe not so fine. Uh oh. Uh oh. There was this thing that happened. Um, Apple. Just a minor thing. A minor not thing. So minor thing. Yeah. <laughs> Apple released an update to Mavericks 10.9.3. And to iTunes. And to iTunes 11.2. And, um, and shortly thereafter, a report came in that, huh, my users folder seems to be missing. Um, where is it? And so I saw this on Twitter and I looked into it and sure enough, my users folder was missing and I hadn't a clue why I, I thought that it was the uh, the Mavericks update. And I came up with an Apple script to make the thing appear again and then on restart continue to appear. But I didn't have a clue as to why it was happening. And um turns out Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Observer figured it out that it was not the 10.9.3 update, but rather it was iTunes 11.2 that did it. So if you'd installed iTunes 11.2 and you had Find My Mac switched on, your users folder would become (laughs) invisible. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, Apple pushes sandboxing, except when it forgets to do so for its own apps. (laughs) Right. So I don't know anybody who's wrapped their head around, why would iTunes and Find my Mac have anything to do with the with users, your users folder? folder. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand Find there. My Mac, all right, because Find yeah. My Mac involves, you know, it also potentially has um, 
the, you know, a direct connection to your Mac so you can remotely erase it. So it makes sense that somehow the user's folder is connected. But iTunes, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just bizarre. Very. So, yeah. And so what I, you know, this brings to mind the question, who's minding the store in regard to these kinds of updates? That granted, there are a lot of people out there in the world who are more than happy to look at every little change that happens. But it was a little surprising to me that this one got out the door, that there isn't something somewhere that checks for major changes in the interface when this kind of update is installed. It's not unusual to have Find My Mac uh, switched on. I mean, it, it, iCloud encourages you to do that. It's not unusual for you to install an update to iTunes. So how could this have gone out the door and have something fairly obvious like this happen with nobody at, at Apple catching it? Is it that they don't test these things enough? Or do they test them in such rarefied conditions that they do slip through the cracks? I don't know. You know, it's, it's weird to me because I know there's extensive testing done at Apple for all of these updates. And it seems to me that there's just, I mean, some people were, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a 100% thing with uh, people who, you know, installed the Mac OS X update, but not the iTunes update. And it's possible that the two teams were siloed and didn't necessarily realize that, oh, well, do this and oops, this happens. This is a problem. Um, but it's, it is one of the side effects of Apple becoming a bigger company. You know, um, they are bigger. They are working on more things at any one time, but they are essentially, you know, they, they have increased their staff, um, but they're still small engineering staffs. You know, the staff is not 200 people for iTunes. It's like 30, maybe yeah. even less than that. Um, it's a it's a small staff working on these engineering things. And uh, for all we know, like this, it could have been a random bug that was introduced We've seen we've seen just how dangerous like random uh, commits of code can be with mm -hmm. something like uh, like the Heartbleed by um, the Heartbleed uh, SSL vulnerability. Yeah, uh, it it's could have been that this was caused by maybe like a someone not putting in a closed bracket and like updating maybe trying to update uh, comments in the code or something and then accidentally leaving a comment open. Uh, and that took out the piece of code that told iTunes not to play with the user folder. Who knows? Uh, but the fact the fact is, no matter you know how large your company is, uh, as as it gets bigger, you're going to run into growing pains. You're going to run into these kind of problems. And unfortunately for Apple, uh, <laughs> they are so high profile that tiny problems like your user folder disappearing uh, but still being there. I tend to get out of proportion and blown up very, very quickly. Um, luckily, they've—I believe—they've since patched that. That's correct. Um, yeah, yeah. They they issued the patch two days later. So I, I think you're right that it was probably an errant bit of code somewhere where they went, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> and then you know, they went, whoops, and then they issued an update. But in the App Store uh, notes, they said nothing about this issue. Rather, they said, oh yeah, well, podcasts are going to work a little bit better, but. The fact that they rushed this out clearly, <clears throat> clearly, this was because of uh, you know that users folder disappearing. Yeah, no, um, 
And, you know, maybe this is a, a call to Apple to really make sure that their QA teams are getting enough rest and that they're not trying to push things out, like, drop dead on a Friday. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, all of their teams are probably busy working on stuff that we're going to see at WWDC, and that means that the stuff that's getting released now maybe just hasn't had some eyes on it recently. Yeah, absolutely. And iTunes updates can be problematic. You may recall the one from many years ago where you installed the latest version of iTunes, and if you did something wrong, um, your data was erased. Yeah. Just disappeared. <laughs> so... I. You know, if you look at iTunes from the outside as a user and you understand how complicated the thing can be and, and bloated in some cases, you know, I'm not a programmer, but I have to think that there's a lot going on there down in the code. And uh, and maybe it is easy to miss something like this. And, you know, granted, I'm I'm not going into my, you know, the root level of my hard drive and seeing if my user's folder is there or not. I just mm -hmm. assume it's going to be. And so it's not something I keep on a lookout for. However, I would think that there would be some little check that would give you a list of, well, since I'm updating this, is something visible or invisible that wasn't before? If so, send up a little alert and let me know. <laughs> P.S., guys. Also, maybe it's time to sandbox iTunes. <laughs> Again, the thing is so complicated. I wonder if they yeah. can. It may be doing a lot of things that would be considered cheating for other developers. Yeah, private APIs. And that's yeah. the problem, right? Is that um, this, I believe, uh, Craig Hockenberry and quite a few other people have talked about. It's it's a little uh, hypocritical that Apple wants to sandbox apps um, or all apps, you know, in a Mac store to be sandboxed. Mm -hmm. um, but hasn't yet sandboxed all of their apps on OS X. And it's like, yeah, you're right. iTunes does a lot of things. iTunes is still connected to your iPhone, and your iPhone needs all kinds of crazy permissions. So it may not be possible to sandbox that program. And as a result, um, things that, you know, maybe shouldn't be happening um, and wouldn't happen in any other app can still happen in iTunes, uh, which is... You know, not not great. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I I imagine that it it, it could be that, that somebody up in you know management said, okay, well we've got to sandbox all our stuff, and the engineers just revolted and said, you know, if you wanted to do <laughs> useful things, then no, we can't. Well, we're yeah. asking other people to do it. Yeah, that's fine. Ask them, but don't ask us because <laughs> we want Give our us a stuff free to pass. work. Yeah, well. And I think you can, you know, because they've got that sort of oversight over their own stuff. So. Mm -hmm. You know, they can give themselves permission to be unfair and to break whatever sandboxing rules they've on, imposed on other people. And developers, if they choose not to sandbox, they can distribute from their own websites rather than go through the App Store. Um, I would like to see a little more leniency because there are certainly programs that have suffered going to the App Store uh, because of the sandboxing rule. And some people are leaving the, the Mac App Store because their app mm -hmm. can't work. They just can't work right now, yeah. So it, we're kind of, as users, we're torn. We can find a lot of great stuff on the Mac App Store. But in some cases, if you need something to happen that's really magical, you may have to go somewhere else, as we used to do, and go to somebody's website. Uh, Panic, for example, I think they're leaving the Mac App Store. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We go elsewhere. And uh, before we wrap up, we have one more word from Citrix, and this time about GoToMeeting, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online. If you're in business, you understand that building a strong relationship with your team is a key part of what you do. 
You need to meet and collaborate with coworkers and clients on a regular basis to brainstorm, develop quality ideas and solutions, and just work better. But gathering everyone in the same room isn't as easy as it once was. In our case at Macworld, we're scattered all over the country. Some of us are back east, some of us are out west, and some of us are up north. So how do we get together? Well, Citrix GoToMeeting is one solution. It's the powerfully simple way to meet in person, online, from anywhere, anytime. We like GoToMeeting a lot. One of the reasons is, is the video quality is really good. Some of the free solutions we use, you know, the video gets done, but it looks a little hazy. With GoToMeeting, the quality is really, really good. Plus, you can share files, you can share your desktop, you can speak to other individuals in a private setting. And it's really easy. Just sign up for GoToMeeting from your computer or mobile service and launch your first meeting in seconds. You'll be able to share the same screen to collaborate on projects in real time and just turn on your webcams to see each other face to face. Here's how to get started. Start your free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code MACWORLD. Well, we've had some some interesting things to talk about, Chris, and I figured uh, before we wrap up, uh, we might as well go over some sort of quick hits um, from things that we saw in the news that maybe we didn't want to talk about a whole lot, but uh, but are still like caught our fancy. Like um, one of the things that I noticed uh, last weekend um, into this week was uh, there's a rumor going around that iOS 8 might have split screen multitasking, i.e. having two apps together on the same screen. What is this madness? AKA, you know, very similar to iOS 10. Um, and part of me is like, yes, yes, please. I love being able to multitask. And the other part of me is very much, um, what about those people who have trouble navigating iOS as it is? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how that, how that would work. Uh, the, the best way I can sort of picture it in my head is to go into the multitasking screen with like the swipe up or the double click on the home button. And then dra- instead of dragging two things to like swipe up to force quit, maybe dragging them together into a unified screen or something like that. But even so, it's going to be an advanced feature, right? There's no, there's no way they can really make multitasking a normal user. I just don't see it unless, unless they're magic and pull out something super easy, or maybe it's an app unto itself that you can open two apps in. Uh, I just don't know. What do you I, think? Yeah, imagine doing this on an iPhone. So you've got, I mean, <laughs> you got, yeah, right. Because so, so it has to be in landscape orientation, mm-hmm. and now you've got. Two apps that are already maybe a little difficult to poke the right thing. And now you've got two of them in a smaller view, side by side. I just don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe it makes a little more sense on the iPad? It's got to be iPad only. I, I can't yeah. think of a good way to really do it on the iPhone unless you're doing it um, like maybe f- three finger swipe to the side just send, mm-hmm. sends you to the other window or something like that. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it it doesn't really the picture in my head doesn't make sense on a phone. However, maybe that's why Apple's making bigger screened iPhones. Maybe it's because people want to use more programs at once. Let's just combine all the rumors together. <laughs> yeah, you know this this reminds me of the very early days of the Mac. 
um, or actually the middling days, I guess, um, in, under the old operating system, where they, where they had like Switcher and they had MultiFinder, mm-hmm. and it was kind of you know they couldn't bring you real multitasking like we have now, but they they sort of thought, well, people do want to kind of easily get from this app to that app, and maybe we can put them both on the screen at the same time, or put them in a maybe. little curl. <laughs> and this just sounds like yeah, okay. This is the next step on the way to the thing that I really want, which is, I don't know what that is at this point. Mm -hmm. But right now it just seems like, yeah, okay, so you're going to clutter up my screen a little bit more. Maybe in practice it will work out well, but it seems like uh, some kind of change they're trying to make to accommodate a touch interface on a smallish device that may be clunkier than, than my computer. Yeah. Okay. So, so much for that. Um, my quick hit is, uh, hey, look, new Surface Pro from Microsoft. What? Actually, <laughs> not that not that surprising. <laughs> no, not surprising. I th- people who've been following the Surface are surprised that they didn't uh, release a Surface Mini, because that was a big uh, yeah, rumor was going a- out. Lots of, lots of rumors there about the, uh, the, you know, all of these parts. But no, they, they decided uh, Surface Mini not in the cards this time. Right, and... The interesting thing about the announcement is they're not comparing it to an iPad. They're comparing it to a MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. And so it, back in the day, we had the iPhone and we had the Mac. And we thought, okay, well, that's it. And then Apple introduced the iPad and people said, well, okay, what are we going to do with this? Well, it's kind of that in-between device between the two. All right. Mm-hmm. So now with the Surface, Microsoft is basically saying, okay, you've got a tablet and you have a laptop. And now you have this thing that fits in between them. So it's kind of a tablet that's powerful enough to be a laptop replacement. You're still going to use a stylus, but we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it a pen because <laughs> that's more <laughs> powerful than a stylus. So and it's, powerful. Right. And it could cost up to $1,500. So it's starting price at $800 for an i3 processor. And then up from there and up to the i7 is $1,500. Plus, you have to still buy a keyboard for it. That doesn't come with it. And I look at it and shake my head and think, okay, one, is there, is there a slot for this niche? Do we need the thing that isn't a tablet or a laptop, but it's like sort of a laptop replacement? Are people going to really spend that much money on this kind of device? And does the touch interface still lend itself to apps like Photoshop, which they're touting? They're saying, oh, yeah, we can run Adobe stuff on here. Does the touch interface really lend itself to something like Photoshop, where really I want a pointing device that isn't a pen, that is more like a mouse or a trackpad or a trackball even, um, versus somebody touching a screen like that? So, you know, good on them for for putting powerful hardware into this thing. I just don't know if, if they've come just a little bit late and are trying to create a market where there isn't a need for one. Yeah, it's really questionable. And on top of that, um, we've seen like Adobe do great things with uh, with apps on the iPad, like Photoshop Touch or Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the apps aren't being fully optimized for the Surface, I'm always a little skeptical. <laughs> or it's yeah. like the Surface potentially has some really cool stuff going on, but there's also some not so much, right? <laughs> not so yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, but we're biased, granted. We are. Um, but, but I've, I mean, I've used a Surface before, and like there, I I really like the fact that the pen, like the stylus, has Wacom technology and it's pressure sensitive. That's really neat. But, um, eh, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll see if there's room for them or not. Yeah. 
Um, last quick hit was uh, Apple is coming, uh, apparently is building out its own content delivery system. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, mm. They've been relying on Akamai and, and others to do this sort of thing. Um, Netflix, for people who don't know how this works, Netflix has, has been doing the same kind of thing where they basically they establish their own servers. And Google has done it and others. So they're not relying on a third party, but so they can optimize their servers. And then they're paying broadband providers to give them as fast access as they can possibly get. Rumor is that Apple's doing this, but unlike Netflix that basically went to the ISPs and said, you have to let our traffic through, <laughs> um, Apple's just saying, look, you know, we're going to pay you in the end, so here's some money. So let our traffic through. And this will help speed up the delivery of iOS and OS ten updates. And then on into the future, if Apple is streaming media, this would certainly help. That um, would. Yes, so maybe they're building out their infrastructure so they can do more media delivery, which I think would be terrific if, for example, this Beats deal goes through. Oh, you actually wanted to say something about Beats, right? Oh, yeah. It looks like uh, there's some uh, courtesy Dan Lyons, of all people, talking uh, talking for Billboard. Apparently, um, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the Steve Jobs biography, said that, oh, well, you know, Steve Jobs uh, talked to Jimmy Iovine uh, uh, a few years ago about uh, buying Universal. And uh, it's, it's certainly possible that he might be uh, brought on board to be a content manager for, for Apple and be the one that's going to get them deals in not just audio, but maybe also video. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. Hey, Chris, you and I were talking about that last week, too. So uh, we're, it looks like we're on the right track. Uh, there's one other thing I wanted to add this time, and mm -hmm. maybe make it a department, but we'll see. It may just be a one-episode department, um, which is fail and hail. And the idea here is uh, something we really like and something that we don't like so much. Um, so I would start by saying my fail for this week is, um, speaking of sandboxing, is Iowa sandboxing. <laughs> um, this is where, of course, the operating system is app-centric rather than document-centric. I know it, Apple's been working on this a long time. And it, for the most part, it works as long as you prefer to work in one app. The problem is, is when you don't prefer to work in that app, the way of moving documents around is so clunky having to use the open in command. So I'm working on something in pages and I want to put it somewhere else. Well, I can't just save that document to a little area and then just have access to it as I can on my Mac. But instead, I have to tap on a little button and it says open in and then I see whatever the list of possibilities are. It has to make a second copy of the thing because it can't use the original, brings it over to another app, and then I can work on it over there. And then when I'm finished with it over there and I want to move it back somewhere, then I have to open it in over there as well. Much like this uh, multi-user thing, we were, or the uh, multi-app thing we were talking about before, it's just a clunky way to do this. I know Apple settled on it, and actually, I think they ideally would like to move that into OS X. I wish they would move it the other direction so <laughs> that we become document-centric again, have something in a holding place for documents, and then I can access that from anywhere I like on my iOS device. It's never, ever going to happen, but still, that is my fail for this week. So... What's your fail? Um, well, I think my fail this week has to be uh, Samsung's branding efforts, um, which it seems like a silly thing. But um, Samsung, you know, tends to have a have a uh, 
a need to be all over the place. And they wrote a an article uh, or a, they wrote a press release last week saying that they had basically taken over a wing of London's Heathrow Airport and that wing would now be branded Terminal Samsung Galaxy S5. <laughs> <laughs> really? And yeah, it was it was uh, very very bold, very bold indeed. And um then Heathrow put out an and a uh, a press release themselves saying, "Hey guys, uh, just so you know, we're not changing our signposts or anything like that. Uh, Terminal Five is still just Terminal Five. Um, what Samsung actually did was just buy out all of the advertising space in Terminal Five, and all of the advertisement space says, "Welcome to Terminal Samsung Galaxy S5." So." Uh, they spent a lot of money. They've uh-huh. branded everything they, they can brand, but we're still Heathrow. Um, and thanks for speaking very, very, you know, boastfully, Samsung. And and now it just makes Samsung look like a, kind of a tool. <laughs> yeah. Well, particularly if they actually have a gate S5. And you yeah. say, well, I'll meet you at S5. All right. Uh, whoops. <laughs> whoops. Sorry about that. Well, my hail this week is uh, is to give back something to Apple, and that is I really love their music creation tools. I think GarageBand and Logic Pro 10 are wonderful applications. Um, anytime an update comes out for them, there's always useful, cool stuff inside them. They've got a really smart team of people working on it. Uh, as a musician, I appreciate the musical elements that they put in. Uh, that When I open these things up, I see absolutely how this is going to be useful to me as a musician and so and that leads me to believe that the people there who are designing these things are musicians as well and uh good work apple keep at it Uh, i know a lot of people don't use these tools but um i do and i think they're terrific so thank you and i think more people use them than you think uh, in terms of like new new users just playing around i think GarageBand's tools are great Uh, my my hail this week is actually an app that I'm testing for Macworld, and you might see a review of it uh, on Wednesday when this podcast goes live. Uh, it's a it's an app called Moju, at least I think that's how it's pronounced, um, which is kind of a, a cross between uh, an Instagram and one of those crazy apps that you've seen that kind of like play with your conventional photo sharing app, like Front Back has a lets you do both a front picture and a back picture. Or uh, there was an app that I saw a couple months ago that lets you do like a 3D rendering of a picture. Uh, Moju is actually a stop motion animation app, uh, which allows you to record up to 24 frames, 24 pictures. Um, And then when you look at it, you play it back by moving your device left to right, uh, parallax style. So you can either record a picture as like a slightly big panorama by taking 24 frames that way, and when you move it around, you actually see it that way, or you can record each frame individually, and you have ghosting, so you can you can make little uh, ghosting allows sort of you to see what the previous frame mm-hmm. was, so you could make a cool stop motion animation, and I have been having a ton of fun playing around with this app. It's free. It's like. It's very, it's very cute. Uh, they only have a public timeline right now, and all of the things that other people have been playing with are also really cool. So uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, and you can share it outside the app. Uh, it actually renders on the desktop fairly well, too. You just have to mouse over, and when you mouse left to right, it moves just like you would move a device. 
So uh, I, I'm really digging this, and and I hope that uh, I hope it catches on, and I hope they uh, they add a few more tools to it. But the but the recording of stop motion is just a lot of fun. Cool. How are they making money on it? Uh, great question. <laughs> Probably <laughs> they're not. Yeah, but they right. will. The, currently, um, it's just it's free to download on the App Store. I suspect they may charge more in the future, maybe to unlock slightly longer stop motion mm-hmm. animation or different filters, or they may do the Instagram thing and they may put branding inside uh, inside the app uh, for like brand specific things. I actually think that uh, a brand like brand advertising in an app like this, assuming it takes off, makes perfect sense. You know, you have a you have a moving advertisement that um, moves as you move your phone. There's a lot of opportunity to do something cool with it. Personally, I hope Oreo sort of Oreo's social department is like, hey, this this app it could actually be really neat for like stop motion cookies because uh, <laughs> Oreos had great branding in the past. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter, I am, I imagine, of getting enough people to to use the surface, uh, the service but like it i i like it because unlike vine or something like that you don't you don't have to listen to audio it's like it's very i liked playing with vine a lot but it was so hard for me to actually spend time to look at vines mm-hmm. and not just make vines because i don't have a lot of time to to watch it with audio right i just like you know i moving pictures are one thing and moving pictures are pretty cool but watching short videos is sometimes really difficult when you're out in public and you don't have headphones Right. Well, I'm, I haven't tried this, so I'm definitely going to. I love stop motion. I think it's just so much fun, and and my daughter loves it too. It's it's a great tool for kids, not just because it's fun, but you start to develop techniques for uh, storyboarding and, and being able to tell stories through uh, through animation. So great. I'm I'm definitely going to give it a go. Yeah, you definitely should. I will. And that's it for us this week. So um, thanks, Ren. I'll... Thank you, Chris. Yeah. It's a lovely. It's a lovely time talking to you as always. As always. So we'll be back uh, next week with more of the same. Hooray. And that wraps up this edition of the Mackerel Podcast, sponsored by Citrix, who bring you ShareFile, the professional way to share files, and go to meeting the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. A couple of things before we go. First, if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at podcast at macworld.com. Both Ren and I will read it, and maybe we'll read it on the air. The other thing is, is that you can help us out. You can help us stay free to download by completing a short anonymous survey takes no more than five minutes your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners like you listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a hundred dollar amazon gift card we promise not to share or sell your email address and we won't send you email unless of course you win in which case you probably want to hear from us so please go to www.podsurvey.com/macworld that's www.podsurvey.com/macworld to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card thanks very much for your participation and thanks for listening 